Good morning, church. My name is Min. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life, and I am so thankful. I feel such a privilege that I get to bring God's word for us this morning. If we could all stand together, if you're able, as we read God's holy and inerrant word in Genesis 22, verses 1 through 14. Genesis 22, verses 1 through 14. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw that place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young man, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there, worship, and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb For a burnt offering. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went, uh, so they went both of them together. When they came, uh, came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham Call the name of that place. The Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. This is a reading of God's holy and inerrant word. You may be seated. Well, if you have been with us, we've been going through the series, The Call of Abraham, for months. And we're finally approaching the end of Abraham's life, where that what began with the call in Genesis 12 is coming to its climax with the long-awaited promise of Isaac being fulfilled and seeing that through this promised seed that God will bless to make a great nation. And this journey that Abraham and Sarah has been on has been filled with many ups and downs. And it's finally at a place where we could say they are in a good place And it looks like finally the story will end on a happy note. But just when you think that it is, we see a twist in a story where they are confronted with just one more test. And this wasn't just another test. It was a test that would shake and destroy the very promise that God gave that he just fulfilled. How could this be? How could God all of a sudden give and take away How can God contradict his own character, his own more character, in commanding something that he forbids? And there are many different layers to this narrative that commentators have studied for generations, but for the sake of today's message, we'll just look at the narrative at the most basic level. 
We'll look at God's test in verses 1 and 2. We'll look at Abraham's obedience in verses 3 through 10. And then we'll close with the good news that we find in God's gracious provision in verses 13 and 14. And what I want us to focus on as we go through the text is to look at this important theme of obedience. And my prayer is that in light of what we have been going through this year in our ministry theme, call to Christ, call to serve, that we understand what it means as we look in the life of Abraham, that we also, like Abraham, have been called to Christ and that we have been called to serve. So we'll look at three things. First, God's demanding test in verses 1 and 2. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Here, what we see is that God tests Abraham to reveal his foundation. Before God tests Abraham, he reveals a nature and purpose of what he's commanding Abraham to do. And this is important for us to know that this is not done to tempt him, but to test him. Sometimes as we go through difficulties in life, it may feel like that God is tempting us, that leads us to sin. But God here uh, clarifies that he is testing in order to grow and strengthen the faith that God had already given Abraham. And he tests in order to reveal the foundation in which Abraham was now go, uh, was called to go and build your life on this promise. He says, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And this is a similar pattern to the initial call that Abraham received in Genesis 12. He says, go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. The three description that is used here. Uh, signifies and represents security, significance, and love that Abraham was building his life on. It's the very thing that we also, like Abraham, use to build our identity on. That shapes our character. It shapes our motivation where we attach meaning, purpose, security, and joy. And what God is asking Abraham to do here in this command in sacrificing his one and only son Isaac is to say, what is the foundation in which you are building your life upon? He's asking Abraham, I know I gave you this promise, but are you building your life on this promise that I gave you or are you trying to build your life on your son Isaac? Is it your son Isaac that you love and hold on to? Or is it me who called you, who equipped you and fulfilled all the promise that you thought was impossible? Perhaps he's asking, Abraham, are you holding on to the reputation and wanting to become the father of all nations? Or is it me that has called you to this promise? Is it to love and cherish your son more than loving me and cherishing me? You see, God tests in order to reveal in the very own testing that he provides the things that we are building our lives apart. It's whatever my heart says, I got to have this. It's the very thing that has become at times the foundation of how we live and how we want to build our lives upon I know there are some of us that may be going through testing like Abraham. And at times it feels like God wants to destroy you rather than to save you. 
But despite how you may feel in those moments, be reminded of his loving kindness and all that he reveals during our testing. You see, God intends to shed light on all of the false promises and idols that many of us are foolishly chasing after as we build our lives. And without realizing, many of these idols end up becoming the basic foundation for our motivation, our identity, and character. If you don't believe me, think about what your sense of worth is rooted in. Is it in your grades for some of us that are students? I was talking to some of you students that are getting ready for finals. And many of the responses when I ask is, are you ready for your final? Is, no, I'm terrified. I'm scared. Why? Because somehow grades have become the very thing in which we are building our lives upon. But what, how is God encouraging you this morning? Is your identity rooted, your sense of worth in your grades and what school you go to or jobs that we have? Or is it rooted in who God says you are? How is your character and how you behave? Is it rooted in doing the very thing that God desires and the path that he has set for us? Or is it rooted in what you hear all around you, in our schools, in our workplaces, the friends that we have around us? Is that what is shaping how we behave and the things that we do? Well, what about your motivation? This is the underlying heart rationale for the things we do. Why do you do the things that you do? And who are you serving? You see here in God's testing, he was reminding, reminding Abraham, ironically, that the very promise that he gave in building his nation through Isaac had become the very threat to the foundation in which Abraham was building his life upon. And this is just a reminder that many times God gives us good things for us to cherish and to be thankful, but when that good thing becomes the ultimate thing that has become our foundation, his test reveals what we need to get out of. What is God trying to reveal in your life through the various testing that you are going through? Not only does God test us to reveal our foundation, but he tests us to remind us who's ultimately in control. If you've been with us during our current sermon series and looking at the life of Abraham, this journey was filled with many ups and downs. It started off very promising, right? In Genesis 12, when Abraham was 75 years old, when he received the call to go and leave his comfort, his security, to go to an unknown place, he was able to do it. Why? Because he had faith in who God was that was calling him. So how did he do on the, along the way? Well, not so great if you remember. Right after he leaves, right at the first sight of trouble that he sees, what do we see him doing? Instead of trusting in God who had called him on this journey, he was looking at all the circumstances that he was facing, which led to all the different lies about denying his wife as a sister, uh, taking matters into his own hands and, uh, and conceiving through Hagar. And what we see over and over in Abraham's life is that he would rather take matters into his own hands rather than trusting in God who had called him in the first place. And this is a great reminder for all of us as we are called to this life of faith that we can confidently walk this path that he has called us to, not because we have the ability in ourselves, but because of God who is calling us, is in control of all things. 
Sovereignty of God is not just a doctrine that we love to hold on to in the Reformed churches as something that we theoretically believe that God is in control, but in our actions, it's lived out in how we obey all the ways in which he is calling us to obey. And here, through God's testing of Abraham and giving up his one and only son, Isaac, whom he loved, he is reminding him to let go because he is in control of all things. How do we also know that he is in control? If you think about Abraham's past record, I would guess if I was God, I probably wouldn't trust him to give him this call to give up his one and only son. Given his past track record, I would guess the stakes are too high and it's too risky to place all of that promise being fulfilled in this one act of obedience. Yet why does God test Abraham? Because he is in control. You see, God's confidence in his testing was not dependent on Abraham, but God himself who will do all that he promises what God reveals in this test that should be an encouragement for all of us as we go through various tests in our lives is to know that when God puts us through tests, he does so because he is in control and that he works all things for his glory and for good, our good. R.C. Sproul writes, the providence of God is the only foundation upon which we find confidence to act in this unpredictable world. Knowing that the Lord is in control and that we are not actually frees us to act. For we know that no failure of ours can derail his plan. That he is in control also gives us an eternal significance to what we do. For what we do is incorporated into the all-comprehensive plan of the one who gives meaning to everything. Amen? Do you believe? In our moments of testing, what do you see? Who do you see? Do you see the diff difficult circumstances that you're facing, that you're going through? Or do you see God who is in control of all that you're going through, who is with you? This is not to minimize the pains and sufferings and the difficulties of various tests that we may be going through. But it should encourage us, just as encourage Abraham to be reminded that God is in control of all things. So will you trust him this morning? Will you surrender? Will you rest in him who works out all things for his glory and for our good? Well, let's continue in the text now looking at Abraham's radical obedience in verses 3 through 10. So right after God instructs this demanding test, what we see Abraham doing is to respond, respond immediately in obedience the text tells us that Abraham gets up early in the morning to saddle his donkey and to cut the wood that was used to be burned uh, for, uh, for his son uh, to be used as a burnt offering. Now, it's interesting to note that Abraham was doing the work that is normally done by his servants. Was it done to get his mind off the things that he might have dreaded? Was it done in preparation for the most important worship that he was being called to participate in? Well, we don't really know as the text doesn't explain, but what the text does show is that he went to the place that he was told and he did as he was commanded. I think there's something profound and simple lesson that we could draw out from Abraham's obedience here. Sometimes God calls us to obey even when it's costly. 
that we may be unwilling to do. Sometimes God calls us to obey even when it's unpopular that God may be calling us to do. Sometimes God may be calling us to obey things that may be outside of our control and outside of our comprehension, yet God is calling some of us to obey. Why? Because what he desires from our obedience is trust. Because obedience flows out of faith. You see, Abraham's obedience was a response that was flowing from his faith that we see here in this text. He was able to go where God was sending him. He was able to do what he was commanding. Why? Because he knew who this God was that was with them all along. You think about the three days journey that Abraham was on, on his path, on this road to Moriah. And I would guess that he was thinking and wrestling through all the doubts and fears that he had about what God was calling him to do. And as he's wrestling, trying to make sense of what God was calling him to do, there was one thing that he knew for sure, despite all of chaos and confusion that he was facing, he knew that God came to rescue him every single time he was in trouble. He was confused and lost, but he knew that God was in control. He knew that he would be sad about the loss of his son, but he trusted in God's gracious provision because God had over and over demonstrated in his life that he came to rescue him. And so my guess is after wrestling and reasoning on this three days journey, he concluded at the end of his journey that somehow, even if it meant that my son would be killed, maybe God will come to rescue again. And he even thought that God might raise him from the dead. And we know this because in verse 5, he says, Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. He doesn't say, I will go and come back, but I and the boy, we will go and come back to you. He was confident that even if he was offered up, that somehow God was able to raise him from the dead. From the dead. And we see this in Hebrews 11, 17 and 19, where it tells us that by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his son, of whom it was said, Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. This incredible display of faith in who God was is what led to this radical response in obedience. This radical obedience was not because he believed in himself or in his ability, but in the character of God. He remembered who God was in his life throughout his journey thus far. He realized what 2 Timothy 2.13 confirms in God's character that even if we are faithless, God remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. And the encouragement for us in our obedience is not looking back at our past track record to motivate us in our obedience, but it's to fix our eyes on him who has been faithful, is faithful, and will continue to be faithful. You see, Abraham remembered why he made all the mistakes in the past along his journey. He was too busy looking at the circumstances more than fixing his eyes on God. 
I don't know about you, but aren't we like that in our lives? Don't we look at the things we have to face in life and we get overwhelmed? We get anxious because we only see ourselves trying to get through with our own ability. But just as Abraham quickly realized that he was able to continue this journey, not based on his strength, but in the strength of God, so it is with us. Just as God's mercy and kindness was there to cover him and rescue him in the middle of all the messiness that Abraham faced, so he is with us now in our messiness. It was Hesed that Abraham remembered that Pastor Will talked about last week. And it is one of the most fundamental characteristics of God that Abraham remember that we should remember in our lives. What is Hesed? Hesed is wrapping up in itself all the positive attributes of God, right? It's God's loving covenant faithfulness. It's his mercy. It's his grace. It's his kindness. It's his faithfulness that he shows that goes beyond the requirements of duty, as one Bible scholar, uh, Bach, writes. What do you think of when you have a hard time obeying? Do you know him? Do you know his promises? Maybe if some of us that are struggling with obedience are fixing our eyes on the wrong things, and the reminder for us, maybe the first place to start is to go to him it's to know him. And the more you know him and the more you know his promises, your obedience will flow out of that faith. Well, second thing we see here in Abraham's obedience is that it confirms his faith in verse 12. If God tests in order to reveal Abraham's foundation, then here in verse 12, he tells us, that his obedience is what confirmed his love for God. In verse 12, he says, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Abraham's action and his obedience is what confirmed that he feared and loved God more than anything else. That phrase, fear God, describes the man's obedience uh, motivated by his love for God. And this is drastically different, if you remember, from what he encountered in his failure in Genesis 12 or 20, where Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place. So what does he do? He pretends that his wife is his sister because he was afraid of his own death. Although he recognized fear of God or no fear of God in the, uh, in the place, he did not actually exercise his faith in this fear of God. But a couple of chapters later here in this text, through his obedience, it confirmed that he feared God more than anything else. Now, there's an important relationship that is being established here between faith and obedience that I believe this verse is highlighting. We don't obey to receive faith, but our faith confirms or in the words of James, it completes our faith. As James 2 talks about, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. It doesn't say Abraham obey God, but obedience came out of 
his faith in God, and it confirmed his faith in God through his obedience. And I think this is an important distinction that we need to understand in terms of the important work uh, that uh, important role that works has in our lives because I think there's too many professing Christians who have a wrong understanding of grace that leads to this idea that because God loves me no matter what, that I could do whatever I want. But the challenge for us this morning is we don't obey to earn or receive faith but our obedience confirms our faith. And the question that we have to follow up on is how is your obedience in your life? If our obedience confirms our faith, then the question that we have to ask ourselves is how is our obedience? Because Stephen Lawson writes, at the heart of what it means to be a disciple of our Lord is living in loving devotion to God. But if such love is real, the acid test is obedience. Jesus maintained, if you love me, you will keep my commands, commandments in John 14. Genuine love for Christ will always manifest itself in obedience. And we see this in Abraham's life. And the question that we have to think about is how are we doing in this area of obedience? Do I obey the things that God delights in or do I obey what I delight in? Do I live to do God's will or do I live to do my will? The practical challenge for us as we think about this point is that we as members at this church, we've been going through call to Christ, call to serve this year. And I want to just kind of bring it home for, for all of us that are members at this church. How has that been for you? How is God challenging you to be involved in serving God and serving others? Now, some of us, as I push for obedience and serving, you may be thinking, man, Pastor Min, I feel really uncomfortable because I feel like you're kind of using guilt trip to motivate me uh, to serve. And trust me when I say this, I hate it just as much as you because I grew up that way. I hate being told what to do. No one likes being told what to do. And some of you in this room right now may feel that way. But this is where I want to wrap up with the good news that brings all of what we talked about together here and what motivates and shapes our obedience. This is the third point that it leads to, which is the God who provides in verses 13 and 14. That is what shapes and motivates our obedience. The comfort and confidence that you and I can have in obeying is knowing that God will provide all that we need. Did Abraham fully know exactly how this was going to all unfold? He reasoned, he speculated, he calculated how this might all go down, but he didn't fully know, yet he trusted. He declares twice in verse 8 and 14 that God himself will provide, and that word provide in verse 14 in Hebrew literally means to see. Abraham Isaac couldn't see the lamb that was needed in verse 8, but they trusted that God will see to the lamb, and they were literally 
able to see the sacrifice that, that God had provided in verses 13 and 14. It's the kind of understanding that goes from I need to do it or I have to do it to this understanding that I can't do it and I don't even know how this is possible, but yet I know who God is and I could trust in who he is because he will provide. And that's how both of them were able to continue in their journey to Moriah. Do you know what that is? It's the good news of the gospel that this text is pointing to. You see, the place where Isaac was about to be sacrificed, Moriah is mentioned only one other time in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles 3. It says, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to David, his father, at the place that David had appointed, on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. In this text, Moriah is connected with Jerusalem, specifically the part of Jerusalem where Solomon built the temple. And this is an important connection that is being established because this location in Jerusalem will eventually be the place where Jesus himself will provide what was needed in being the substitutionary sacrifice. Do you see what this narrative is ultimately pointing to? As great and inspiring as this narrative can be about Abraham's faith, and there's a lot of lessons that we didn't get to uncover in terms of what kind of obedience that God delights, it, delights in, but this is ultimately about foreshadowing the greatest story of obedience, of love one can fathom. And in this story, there is no last-minute rescuing of the Son. In fact, he became the necessary sacrifice to fulfill what was needed. The same God who told Abraham in verse 12, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him is the same God the Father who did not spare his one and only son to provide for you and I all that we need in life. And this atoning sacrifice that John 1.29 describes as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world is exactly what Isaac was foreshadowing. And this Jesus became the substitute for you and I to take our sins away. And just as Isaac was carrying the wood on his back, we see the Son of God who carried the cross on his back on his way to his own death that he obeyed completely, sacrificially, and willingly for your sake and my sake. F.B. Meyer rightly said of this narrative, so long as men live in this world, they will turn to this story with unwaning interest. There's only one scene in history by which it is surpassed, that where the great father gave us Isaac to a death from which there was no deliverance. Brothers and sisters, do you believe that God will see to your need and that God himself will provide all that you and I need in order that we could live this life obedience that he is calling us to partake in? I had an interesting conversation uh, with Pastor David just before I was getting ready to preach. He said, oh, are you preaching Genesis 22? I'm like, yeah. He goes, yeah, Pastor Will said that's the climax, that's the highlight of this story. 
And I don't know if you think you better do a good job. Uh, but I, this is my take. I'm like, oh, crap. One, I'm not as gifted as Pastor Will. So all my insecurities were coming in. Not only that, I was thinking about this week. In my prep, I have never wrote and rewrote a sermon so many times in my life. Because I understood the significance of what Genesis 22 is pointing to. And I wanted to make sure that I do a, a, a sufficient job to explain what it points to. And all the pressures I felt was all of a sudden asked in that question by Pastor David. So what do I do? Uh, I better go read some commentaries? Uh, no. All I could do is to trust that God himself will provide all that I need to communicate all that we need to be reminded of this morning. And isn't that the story of life that many of us are called to live? That just like Abraham, that our life will be full of ups and downs, full of failure. When we look back, we imagine there's no way that whatever God is calling me to do, based on what I have not done, that I could do what he's asking me to do. Because all of the focus is centered on ourselves. But just as Abraham was reminded, and just as I was reminded, and I pray that just as you were reminded, that this God who had called Abraham was the one who was faithful in his life all the way through this journey. And the confidence that Abraham had in this God that had called him was in what the third point leads to, that God himself will provide. And that's the story of obedience that God is calling each and every one of us to do. That no matter how tough the task may be, God is saying, I will give you all that you need to do it. Will you trust him? Will you obey him? And if you have a hard time, then once again, be reminded of his love for you. Be grounded in the promises of God. Be grounded in joy and freedom that comes from being rooted in the good news of the gospel. Because God who wants our obedience and delights in our obedience will give us all that we need. He is Jesus and he is whom we are to fear, trust, and obey who is with us. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us, give us all things? And this is a confidence that you and I can have in our obedience, that God who is faithful, God who is kind, is one that has called you, and if he has called you, he will give you all that you need to live our lives for his glory and for our good and for joy. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, what a gracious, 
reminder that you have given us in Christ that just even how we have come to faith is not because of our own ability, but it's because of what Christ has done for us, and we place all our faith and trust in him. And it is that God who has called us, who will equip us, will strengthen us and be with us until the end. So we place and fix all our eyes on him, the author and perfecter of our faith, And we want to hold on to him so that in all the ways that you call us to, in all the different places that you call us to go in, all the different things that you call us to obey, that we could do confidently in the name of the Lord because you will provide all that we need. Thank you for the gracious, great reminder that we need to hear in our obedience. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.